You're listening to the Autos Podcast, where we explore the nature of stories and the pursuit of being in truth. I'm Mac. And I'm Vod. And our sentience depends on you. Now cue the intro music. In those moments when the Lord Ruler both held the power at the well and was feeling it drain away from him, he understood a great many things. He saw the power of Pharaoh and rightly feared it. Many of the terrorist people he knew would reject him as the hero, for he didn't fulfill their prophecies well. They'd see him as a usurper who killed the hero they sent, which in truth, he was. I think over the years, Ruin was, would subtle, subtly twist him and make him do terrible things to his own people, but at the beginning, I suspect his decision against them was motivated more by logic than emotion. He was about to unveil a grand power in the Mistborn. He could have, I suppose, kept Alamancy's secret and used Ferrochemists as his primary warriors and assassins. However, I think he was wise to choose as he did. Ferrochemists, by the nature of their powers, had a tendency towards scholarship. With their incredible memories, they would have been very difficult to control over the centuries. Indeed, they were difficult to control even when he suppressed them. Alamancy was not only provided a, uh, a spectacular new ability without the drawback, it offered a mystical power he could use to bribe kings to his side. Inquisitors had little chance of resisting Ruin. The more spikes that any of his Hemolar cre- uh, creations... They had more spikes than any of his other Hemolurgic creations, and that put them completely under his domination. Yes, it would have taken a man of supreme will to resist Ruin even slightly while bearing the spikes of an Inquisitor. Kolos also had little chance of breaking free. Four spikes and their diminished mental capacity left them fairly easy to dominate. Only in the throes of a blood frenzy did they have any form of autonomy. Four spikes also made them easier for Alamancers to control. In our time, it required a Duralaman push to take control uh, control of a Chandra. Kolos, however, could be taken by a determined regular push, particularly when they were frenzied. Okay. All right. That's interesting because I thought about that too. Um, we get and we get in a few chapters. We get this idea of I, I want to say it was discussed earlier, but I know for sure it's discussed recently, or at least in these chapters, that the Vin and Ellen were always afraid to release the Coloss on a city because if when they did, they found it super difficult to control them. And we see that now actually being explained in the epigraphs that it is in fact true that when they are in blood frenzy, even when you when you when you have dominated Coloss, once they're in the blood frenzy, they can't really control them, which I think is super interesting. Actually, you just read the opposite. They're easier to control when they're frenzied. No. Yes. Coloss had a little chance of breaking free. Four spikes and their diminished mental capacity left them fairly easy to dominate. Only in the throes of a blood frenzy did they have any form of autonomy. Oh, okay, fair enough. Okay, my mistake. I I clearly can't Man, read or listen. I mean, I read that terribly. I butchered <laughs> it. It's pretty early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to just jump right into it here, 65. Um, Because, like, okay, right again, right before I jump into it, because they were, I've noticed they've been afraid to use them, and I always thought they were afraid to use them. Because they were just horrible creatures, and they're like, I don't know if people deserve to die that way. But it turns out that it really just meant that they couldn't control them, so they were afraid that once they released them and they got into a riled-up blood frenzy, 
they weren't going to be able to stop them from slaughtering the citizens. And that's why they were so hesitant to use them in battle. Yes and no. I mean, it was it was that. There was at least a portion of that. But he mentions also that, I think Ellen has, has said at some point in the earlier chapters, he says he can't actually control them. All he can do is nudge them. And he, but he can't control how they do what he asks them to do. Mm-hmm. So, like, if he was like, "Go guard this area," he can't tell them like, "Okay, go stand here and pace back here or whatever." They'll just go into that area, and then if anything comes in, they'll like take care of it or whatever. So, yeah. I think their concern was that in battle, it was kind of the same thing. Like that, he can't, he could, he go, go and fight. But their version of fighting would be like to kill everything that was there. Like there's collateral yeah. damage everywhere. They're like a, a bomb, you know. Mm. Um, you can't like pinpoint them. You can't do a surgical strike with it. You, 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 they just go in and they fight. And in a battle, like a big battlefield or something like that, that's not a problem because everyone there is a soldier. You know, they're gonna get, they're gonna fight or whatever, or or another or more co-ops. But in a city. There's going to be a lot of civilians. There's going to be a lot of people in the building. And the co-ops are just going to be like, we're fighting, you know, and they're just going to start taking everything out. And the other thing is, Ellen, it's not like he has, like, a visual under or an understanding of what every single co-op is actually doing. He just kind of has, like, a vibe. You know, that's mm-hmm. why, like, they were being attacked. They were being, you know, bludgeoned by a bunch of things. He could feel they were dying, but he couldn't, like, see from their eyes, like, what was going on. So yeah. all he's going to get is like this vibe that they're fighting and they could just be destroying a bunch of people's homes or everything like that. And he's just not going to really know. So yeah. I think it was at least some of what you're saying, but I think it was mostly this idea of like, we don't really have as much control over them as people think. Yeah. All right. So going into chapter 65 here. We get Ellen's point of view, and he actually asks Ham if they should attack. And we know Ham. Ham's going to have this philosophical approach, and he's going to go, obviously it's terrible to attack with the Coloss, but if we don't attack with the Coloss, is it more terrible to leave them to the fate of starving to death under Yeoman's control? And, you know, he's just going to go back and forth. And so he asks him, and Ham immediately, well, I guess not immediately, but, like, sternly says, they should not attack. And Ellen goes, is that the first decision you've made? Like the first like straight decision you've made with no compromise. And he takes that very seriously. He didn't want to attack in the beginning. So Ellen goes, you know what? We're not attacking. Let's retreat the men. We're going back to Lufadel. We're going to try to secure the empire, our, our empire that's on fire. I'm not going to doom all these people to be slaughtered by Kolos. And we jump back to Vin's point of view, who is now telling Yeoman, look, you know, look, I told you that Ellen would not attack. It's just not a sign that we're good people. You're good people. Stop letting Marsh try to control you. Then she goes after Ruin, and it's like, Ruin, you know, we were tricking you the entire time. We knew you wanted us. We knew you wanted us to attack Fadric. We knew that you wanted you wanted us to find the ATM. We knew all this. You can't see past metal, can you? And she starts calling Rune out, and she realizes she's getting to him, because, you know, she he starts getting very angry, and he tells her that no one can resist, you know, no one can resist me. No one can resist me. Everyone will eventually turn, and and when she he says this, yo Marsh gives Yeoman the order to attack Elend, to just charge out and attack. And Yeoman does it. And 
we get this point of view back where where Vin's like, Yeoman's crying. Yeoman, Yeoman, Yeoman straight up realizes like he he he's dooming, he's dooming his soldiers by sending them out, um, and he's just hoping that they have faith, uh, that that uh, the Lord Ruler is watching over them, and it's at this point that Ruin reveals the most devastating secret he's kept. Ruin, you know, you know Ellen starts running the Colossus away. Ellen's like retreating them. And he's just like, oh crap, we're not we're not going to engage them. They're they're insane. And so Ellen starts running the Colossus away from them to try to to try to prevent them from all getting slaughtered. And Ruin reveals that he can. He's he's like, you think I would just like give you control of the Colossus if it wasn't for my own reason? And Ruin just takes control of the entire Colossus army and starts slaughtering Ellen's army with it. Uh, we get a quick Ellen point of view of him feeling the Colossus get ripped away from him, and we go back to Vin, and Yeoman is happy now because he's like, "You are right. The Lord Ruler delivered us. The Colossus are slaughtering Ellen's army. You know, we, we the Lord Ruler did this." And while this is happening, Marsh goes to start choking the life out of Vin, and Vin, with her her, her urchin skills, sleight of hands some metals out of Marsh's uh, pack drinks them, yanks her earring out, and launches it through March's forehead, just in and out the other side. And with that, she grabs more medals, and Vin realizes, and Vin's like freaking out, and is just like, this isn't good, Yeoman, you need to retreat, you need to retreat, you know. Ellen doesn't have control of them, you need to run, and you need to run now. And Yeoman's not believing her, and so Vin realizes that Ruin made a mistake. Ruin did not take control of the few hundreds of Coloss that she has. And so with that, she smiles, and she turns those and has them attack Yeoman's men. And right before Ruin can grab control of them again and pull them away, the damage was done, and Yeoman sees that he's been tricked. And so he gives the order for the men to retreat, and he also gives the order to let... Ellen's army into the into the city and you know Mar- Marsh ends up still being alive and she gets grabbed by him and he starts like breaking her throat and basically he says it's she goes it's really ironic that this was what the Lord Ruler was doing to me you know just three years before and Marsh saved my life and here Marsh is doing the same thing and so she tries to Duralim and soothe Marsh and she's like, wait, I felt something. But then Marsh reveals his like ferrochemist power now from the, the spikes he's received. And she's like, crap, I'm, I'm so dead. I'm so dead. And then the mist returned to her. And she's able to pull them in for the first time since the first book. And with that, she pushes on his emotions again, or she soothes again. And she's able to break the wall. And just for a split second, Marsh regains control. And then it floods away, ruins control again, and Marsh runs. And we get Ellen's point of view after that as he's fighting with the Coloss and he's talking with Set. And then Vin lands on their little battle planning section and tells them that to run to the city, that Yeoman's going to let them in. And that's the end of 65. So 66, we get Sazen and Tensoon. Tensoon ate a hog, ate like this just massive hog, and then used all the muscle that he ate to basically make make up like a super draft horse. 
<laughs> like just a super horse that is running through the 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 you know four or five foot of ash now that's built up on the ground, and the, this this horse is just running through it like it's nothing. And Tensoon explains what we learned in the epigraphs, which was essentially that the uh, the fewer the spikes, the more free will these these hemallergic creations are uh, have. So while the while the chondra have a few little spikes, they have the most autonomy out of any of them. The inquisitors with the most spikes has the least autonomy uh, out of all of them. And he's like, didn't you notice that? Inquisitors and Coloss, even before Rune was released, kind of had this bloodlust to them. And it was because they had so many spikes that even when Rune was trapped, he could influence them enough to 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 make them bloodthirsty, to make them crave Rune, essentially. Um Tenzun tells Sazed again that he has to convince his people to do the right thing. A hard thing. Hmm. Let's try to think about what that was. We have the information, but we won't reveal it yet. We have that information though. So he goes, We're, I'm taking you to my homeland. We've arrived. Do you know where we are? And he's like, no. And he goes, well, the terrorist people are right over there. And he goes, we're at the pits. And he goes, yep. The cave complex is under the pits. That's the Condor's homeland. And uh, yeah, good luck. Go right in there. And Sazed says something very interesting. Sazed shows a little bit of his faith coming back because as, as Tinsun's leaving, he goes, may our God preserve you. And uh, Tinsun lets out a bit of a smile and says it approaches the Condra guards and is like, hey, time to let me in. And that's the end of 66. So 67, we get Vin's point of view again. And it's been a couple of days since we last saw them, since that, that fight happened. The Coloss are amassing. So whatever happened when, when Ellen's army was able to retreat back into the city, Ruin's waiting again. He, they're, they're talking about how more and more Coloss are showing up to take the city. And Yeoman's like, why isn't he attacking or why aren't they attacking? And they're like, we don't know. Like at this point, we have no idea. But Vin's like, you know, when I pushed into Marsh's head, because she like for a split second got Marsh's view the same way that 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 she got a Chondra's view. Just for a split second. She goes, When I did that, I touched Ruin's mind and I saw that he feared me. And so she's like, I have to figure out what's going on. Um, she doesn't know why she can pull on the mist. She can't pull on the mist whenever she wants. And Yeoman's like, yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of screwed. And so Vin's like, you know, in her moment, she's trying to think because, you know, Ellen's looking, you know, looking like he, he's good, but Yeoman's talking doom and gloom and she starts playing with her earring and she's like, you know what? Yeoman used my earring as something really clever. He used my earring to to determine whether or not I had any medals left in me for any reason by giving it to me. And he basically used my earring and played me into revealing that I really was trapped when, when, when he, when he uh, had me in my cell, essentially. And she's like, could I do the same thing to ruin? Is there something I could do and do something similar? And she's like, the mist only comes to me when I'm in the most desperate need I've ever been in. That was with the Lord Ruler, and that was with Marsh a little while ago. So she goes, I know what I need to do. I need to put myself in danger. I need to put myself into the most desperate state I've ever been in, and the mist will come to me. And so she realizes she needs. she's going to bait the Inquisitors out to get these mist powers. And she just starts talking to Ellen about how they need to go get the ATM, because 
it's not safe where it is now and they need to protect it. And Ellen kind of kind of knowing what she said before plays along and understands and just goes, yes, you need to go get the ATM. It would be better to keep it here in the city with an army protecting it. And so she leaves and she runs out to, she heads back to Lufadel with her little horseshoe trick. And I just had to record this because if we think back to the final empire, she is the splitting image of Kelsier at this point. She's just sitting there and she goes, now, let's have a chase, you and I, which is exactly what Kelsier said the first time he pulled and baited an Inquisitor away from Vin when she was leaving with uh, uh, her old crew leader when she was leaving the uh, ministry, which I thought was just an insanely awesome callback. And that's the end of 67. You know, I totally missed that until you just mentioned it. No, exa- no, she said it exactly. I, re- I remember because he was like, now, like he he soothed the Inquisitor and the Inquisitor looks at him in, in Final Empire and he goes, now let's have a chase, you and I. Yes, I, I, and I, was I, like, I remember I remember the event in um in the Final Empire. Uh, I just totally missed that. She's that. Bait, she, her, her plan is she's trying to bait his Inquisitors. So I think it's just perfect. Yeah, no, it's literal perfect. It is, it is perfect. But... Yeah, so that's uh that's the chapters for this man. I got, we talked I talked about it a little bit. I hinted at it at the end of last the last episode, but what a devastating, absolutely devastating secret for Ruin to keep that the Inquisitors were not the ones controlling the Coloss. Yeah. He was the entire time. And it's like again, in hindsight it makes sense. And again, it was one of those things that was like dangled in front of us this whole time. And again, it's it's not it wasn't like hidden or anything. It was made perfect sense. You, in fact, you would be wondering why the heck is Ruin not controlling the Coloss? You know, like I'm, he has like Inquisitors. Not even thinking that. Like I wasn't even thinking at that point. The thing that I was really thinking about here that, um, as proof that it was dangled in front of us was, it was right in front of Ellen and his advisors. They were like the Coloss are moving. And these like really like Ellen started piecing it together. The Coloss are moving in really specific ways. They're not moving randomly. And there are times when they had reports of scouts watching them and they didn't see an Inquisitor. And they were like, oh, the Inquisitor just must be close by. or The Inquisitor must be hiding, but he's controlling it. They had reports that they were just like talking away that these Coloss were moving on their own in smart ways. And they just chalked it up to the Inquisitor's good at hiding. They didn't even... Think that it would they were just being controlled by Ruin. Right. Even even Ellen and the last time he went to get the Coloss, he mentioned he's like, Where was the Inquisitor? I guess he just ran away and then he just left it at that. Yep. And so it's like this has been again right there, right in front of us this whole time. And I mean, just totally missed it. Now, I guess you could say we totally missed it. Odds are, even if you thought about it, you were like, Oh, well, I guess. It's just the nature of the Coloss that they needed to be more directly controlled, right? Like, yeah. oh, maybe Ruin, you know, I guess, you know, since he doesn't, he clearly doesn't have all of his power, then I guess mm-hmm. he just doesn't have the ability to control these things. Um, but like this hint of like, hey, there weren't any Inquisitors around when you were seeing these groups of Coloss coordinating was like the hint that um, Ruin was just doing this. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, yeah, it's, it was just absolutely devastating. Like, it's like, (sighs) all the, I mean, understand, like, what I love about this sequence, uh, what I love about this, like, sequence of events was, 
What was like the one of the big things that happened in Will of Ascension? They got Kolos as an army. And that mm-hmm. was like a huge deal. And we saw like that was a huge deal. Like, oh man, this really big powerful thing that we've been having to fight, that's our weapon now. And it's like, great, awesome. And not only do we have that, but there's like we, we I mean, we know that Marsh was with like three hundred thousand Kolos at one point. And yeah. now they had like forty thousand Kolos or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, they've got like an unstoppable force here. You know, nothing. No one's going to be able to stand against them except for maybe the 300,000 that were somewhere, you know, wherever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just gives an idea of what populations we're dealing with, because um, whenever we talk about this stuff, we're talking about um, what what people are going to be able to do or not be able to do. Um, when we see this switch we see that the power just shifts like they are now back to where they were in well of ascension you know maybe even worse uh they're helpless i mean yeah ellen and that's the thing i was thinking about is that you know when they were fighting in well of ascension we felt like they were they were screwed when the coloss attacked them and now we're back to that exact moment again well and we do see like it, the thing is is like the most powerful weapons they had were Vin and the Coloss. And then Ellen became very powerful. So now we have Vin, Ellen, and the Coloss. Well, we saw, and I think this was actually, again, a masterful stroke on Brandon as a writer. He, before this happens, he shows that Ellen is very strong and able to hold his own against the Coloss. But he knew it was only a matter of time before he would lose. It is like he was fighting desperately to the point where he's like, these guys, I need to get control of them because I will lose eventually. Like if he his only reason he could fight was this idea that eventually I will get control over these thousands of Colossus that are around me, mm-hmm. but he was not invincible, and then neither was Vin. Neither of them believed legitimately that they would just be able to hold their own in, indefinitely against uh, you know an army of Colossus. So I think it was a great way to show that to be like, oh well, you know, I know you lost your Colossus army, but you still have two Mistborn. That doesn't mean anything, you know, when it's with, yeah. with, with the numbers we're dealing with. And so what that's kind of like what I love about this is like we got to see the power of the Coloss. We got to see the power of the, um, you know, both Vin and Ellen when they were able to unleash themselves. Because that was the thing is Vin said, I get to finally fight full, full power. And we got to see Ellen and that was basically him fighting full power. Because even if you were going to argue oh, Ellen is a more powerful Mistborn than Vin. You know, Vin is just more skilled. Well, it doesn't matter. Ellen was basically like, yeah, I can fight a Coloss easy. You know, that's no problem. I can fight several Coloss easy. That's no problem. But I'm not going to be able to take out an army of a thousand plus Coloss. And here's 40,000 that I I brought to the gates and there's more coming. And we know that at least one group is of of at least 300,000 in size. Yep, and one hundred percent. So it's almost it was it's almost like onto the level of like oh if I could just strip people of their misborn powers then that's where we would be. Um, thankfully that's like not what we're dealing with, but still. Um, the other thing about about this this set of chapters is, and this is the classic Sanderlanch where we have one chapter that's for one person, one chapter for another person, one chapter for another person. And you know you're going to get really intense when when point of views start switching in the middle of chapters. It's such 
it's such a smart way to write a story because if you were to just piece like Vin and Ellen's section back to back to back without these like little bit of season interludes, uh, it would be over way too quickly for pacing wise for one, but two, there's like no tension because it's crazy. Like right now, if I were to, to like, you know, looking at this setup of this story, okay. You know, we've had in other moments, and I think we talked about in Well of Ascension, or we talked about here in Hero of Ages, it was very much with Spook's storyline early on, where we didn't appreciate it as much because we were always like, I want to get back to Vin. I want to get back to Vin. I want to get back to Vin. But we've got to the point now where he he's done such a good job of crafting the story that I don't know which one I want to see more. Of course, I want to see Ellen and Vin. I want to see what's going on with them. But, like, he just dropped an insane bomb of lore with Sazed. And it's like we 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 get like little we get little Sazed tidbits here, right? And we're just and I don't know about you, but like when I'm reading it, or especially even when I was reading it the first time, um, I couldn't decide which one I wanted. I was like, "Whoa, why are we leaving Vin?" And we're back to Sazed. And then you know we'd start reading through the Sazed chapter. I go, "No, no," and they would end. I'm like, "Why didn't you give me more lore? Tell me more." And then we'd be back to Vin, and Ellen is like, "Oh." Just like yanks me around, like you just yank you around perfectly. And the, that's the thing is, what I love, I love any story where it's like I'm upset that we're ending this part of the story, but at the same time, I'm excited that we're getting back to this next one. Like, you know, admittedly, you're right. Like, when I'm dealing with parts of a story, I know that we have to move on. You know, and there are certain times where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of done here. Uh, like you, like you said, like I, I kind of want to get back to whatever was going on before, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, this part, you know, actually, Hero of Ages almost the whole time, uh, mm-hmm. except for Spook when I first read it, was like, okay, I'm o- I'm almost okay with getting rid of this. Like I'm not happy about it, but I'm almost okay because we're getting back to this thing. And every yeah. shift was like, okay, I'm I'm excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I do I do want more of this, but I'm. Kind of glad that we're getting back to this part of the story, um, mm-hmm. and it's just again and again and again. And then these epigraphs just—they just keep hitting hard. Um, I love that. Well, don't love the the author of the epigraphs ends up saying, you know, oh, I actually agree with the genocide. Like that makes sense. And I'm like, okay, uh, we, we're, we're mm-hmm. that's an interesting way mm-hmm. to start. Um, but he was. Essentially, like, look, the only way that the Lord Ruler would have ever been challenged would be if somebody was able to use ferrochemy and alamancy at the same time, which would, which had never happened in history as far as as far as we know. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's mentioned here. I don't know if it gets mentioned later. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say um, all the misrates were ferrochemists, and. That's where they. That's the thing. Is like you were saying earlier uh, in a previous uh, a previous episode. You know why did he just not kill them all? Um, and he didn't because he made them all misrates. His friends he made them into the Chondra by using the hemologic spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see that he had the opportunity. He could have snapped his fingers and killed all the terrorist people. This was his compromise to doing that. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, I remember in a previous episode, I actually asked why. I had I said, what's the point? Dude, you have them right here. Just kill them all. And we had debated about, oh, maybe he's, um, 
you know, sentimental about it. Uh, maybe, you know, when we found out that he was a terrorist man himself, maybe he, you know, didn't really want to kill a whole bunch of people of his own people or whatever, even though we find out that we think that the Lord Ruler is a pretty bad guy up until, you know, we find out that he was just a person that was put in a really bad position um, with some not great attributes. Um, but yeah, he's he, he's a bad guy. We're not, like We can't argue against the fact that he's a bad guy. But like when we we get him painted in in Final Empire, it, it feels like he's more so painted as a monster just because he's a monster, and he's very much falls into the camp of I, I'm a bad guy and I'm trying to obtain this goal by any means, and that's what makes you a bad guy. Is he he won't stop? But nothing is off limits as long as he gets to that goal. But clearly not, right? Like now that I think about it, he, I mean, genocide yes. was not on his list. Like, even with the ska, even with the ska, he didn't, like, try to wipe any the whole ska out. So I'm just saying that, like, he never really, like, he went out and he killed, like, a whole bunch of people for, like, you know, religious reasons or whatever like like that. But he didn't go out with the intention of, like, I'm going to wipe all this, this group of people out, um, I think. Um, the only thing I can think of what, is, like, religious-wise. What is the... What is the the Wreck It Ralph meme? Thanks, Satan. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, but my my point is, is that we talk about like he could, he did everything he could. He could have killed every terrorist person. He could have just he could have he yeah. could have snapped his fingers. He could have killed them all, you know, straight up. Um, but I don't know if he even knew the keepers existed. No, he had to. He had to actually. So, no, he did. He did because so he did. We can't. We need to hold off on this one because that's going to be next set of chapters. You know, you kind of already talked uh, about the mystery situation, which isn't big. But the next set of chapters, the the epigraphs actually go into this whole idea of like the ferrochemist situation and what uh, Rashik was thinking at that time. So we can't go too deep into that, unfortunately, on this set. But anyway, th- I mean, like I said, we're having like a whole bunch of lore drops here. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, just kind of a, as a side bit, is I didn't understand this, but now it kind of opens things up when it comes to Contra. Soon took two different creatures and basically blended them together to make a super horse. Yep. Um, I'm like that has a lot of implications, and I, I gotta say, I don't recall that ever happening again, or like. I've never. I don't know if it's happened, you know, really yet. I know that Tensoon meant it's less that he blended the creatures together. He said that he consumed the the pig, and just used its muscle to make the muscle of the horse bigger. But you know, same thing. I mean, I get, I get because you remember when he talked about when he was a dog and he said like, yeah, he used extra muscles or whatever because Mm -hmm. he was just so skilled. Like that was like his thing. Um, yeah, he crafted a, a, a voice box. He crafted vocal cords that could speak. Right. And the dog, too. Yeah. Um, but what I what I was thinking here was like, okay, so he took the aspect of one, which I guess if you could say, oh, it was just the muscles. Well, you know, that means you could take the bones of something. That means you could take, you know, mm-hmm. the teeth of something. You know, we, we see that. We see that in miss rates. Uh, yeah. They're, 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 they're kind of crazy, but we see it. No, no, I know. I'm just it's just the implications of that. I was like. Huh. Yeah, and, and the other thing is like you know, Tensoon does kind of point out like it's unique to him because he's so skilled. Like um, other Chondra aren't don't really match him as well because he just keeps doing this again and again and again, which I think is really interesting. Um, that there's 
skill that goes with this. Like it's not just like oh mm-hmm. you know you, you can you could just do whatever you know they said they're gonna do. We keep talking about it, but Bran is just so good at that. He he purposely introduces very heavy limitations on his magic systems on anything, including like the Chondra, and we just get to be awed and amazed every time someone like breaks the code and is able to do something they shouldn't. Well, and this kind of goes back to the, like, not the mantra, but like the philosophy that Brandon has when it comes to, um, you know, story writing and everything like that. And it makes sense. It's not about what you can do. It's about what you can't do. It's what you can't do mm-hmm. that makes things so awesome, you know, because. Um, yeah, I think that's a great approach to magic. It's, it's, it's about what you can't do. The anti How do you overcome it? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it's funny. I mean, this is a little off topic somewhat, but it's kind of the thing like people talk about whether or not Goku could beat Superman and they talk about all the iterations of Goku. Could they beat Superman? And my understanding is like the final the final word on that is Goku will never be able to beat Superman. And the reason is, is because Goku is a character who's about overcoming limits and Superman is about a character that has no limits. Um mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, you know, that's kind of what makes, you know, Superman almost like a, 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 a not as a compelling character. Um, yeah, and I it, agree. And it makes it hard to, you know, ever feel like, how can you beat him? And, you know, oh, you got kryptonite or whatever. And like, why is he losing right now? Like, he clearly has the ability to just pull things out. And yet you could argue like, like Goku's the same way, but like Goku has limits. Um, and it's everyone else. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, you, you're not all powerful. Is you ha- you're not able to do these things, but it's you overcoming the that lack of power. You, you like finding a way to use, mm-hmm. even though you have this, a way to actually use it in a creative way. That's what's really interesting. Yeah, I think I mentioned it in Final Empire, and I'm mentioning it again with Brandon Sanderson's lectures when I was going through them because I went through the lectures again before I even started the Cosmere. And he said, what's more interesting, you know, uh, a person who just thinks and they can fly perfectly or a person or what we see with the Mistborn and how they steal, push and pull consistently to fly. The, the, the second one is way more interesting and way cooler and to see. It's like it's funny because like Ven does the horseshoe thing and it's like, doesn't that sound obvious? Like it sounds like yeah. it seems like a totally obvious thing, but like we've not seen anyone do it or done anything close to it. And it's like, mm-hmm. obviously, it would take a lot of coordination. Like, you could just imagine, you know, if I was pulling and pushing and like, you know that the timing has to be right and everything like that. You can yeah. you can picture that in your head and then being like, but it seems totally doable. Like, if I just practiced it for a while, I could probably figure it out and I could probably get really good at it. Um, mm-hmm. And even Ellen is like, I still don't understand how Ben figures, you know, gets the salt of this stuff going. Um that's just so cool. And then it's like, of course, yeah, I'm going to figure out a way to be able to still push my way and use that for locomotion. That's like, that's like an obvious thing when you, when you think about it. Um, but it is like the limitation of the magic system. That's kind of the point. All right. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to end. And as you come back and join us for our next set of episodes, man, we get some very, very, oh, we're, we're deep in the Sandra Lanch. We get uh, Sazed approaching the first generation. We get um, Captain Gorodel's trek through, and we get essentially a piece of Preservation's plan because he didn't leave them to hang and dry. And 
he has a way for them to fight back against Rune. Hey everyone, Vod here. Please rate our podcast and follow us for regular episodes Monday through Friday. If you enjoy listening, consider subscribing. We are a very small project, so please support us with likes and comments. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ontos. That's patreon.com slash O-N-T-O-S. Thanks again, and remember, our sentience depends on you.